Open your Bibles to John chapter 15. I preached last week or the week before. In fact, I didn't see it on the website. Uh, the message entitled Grow, it's on there now? Uh, this afternoon. All right. Well, I, I jumped the gun. But I alluded to what I'm going to talk about tonight. In fact, Brother Kenneth, in his prayer this morning, mentioned uh, this very thing by way of request, and it has to do with abounding, abounding. And uh, as I've often said, one of my favorite Bible conferences that we ever had had to do with abounding. And tonight we're going to talk about how to abound. You know, it's one thing we know the Bible talks about abounding in works, abounding in faith, abounding in love, abounding in hope, and so forth. But, but tonight we're, we're going to consider how this happens. You know, every Christian ought to be dissatisfied with doing just enough to get by. And and I think it's some sometime that all of us are guilty of that. You know, just enough to get by, just enough that we don't embarrass ourselves, just enough that you know, that it doesn't raise any question with someone else about our sincerity or our love for the Lord and uh, whether it has to do with the amount that we give uh by way of an offering or whether it has to do with the time that we spend or whatever, you know, sometimes it's just enough to, to get by and we need to remember that God wants us to be eagles and to soar and to not just sit in the nest. Um, whenever we think about abounding, uh, as with everything else, automatically our mind ought to go to Christ because He is our example. Because that's true, there's always room for improvement. I said in the earlier message concerning spiritual growth that none of us ever get to the place where we reach a spiritual plateau where we can, you know, look back on everybody else and say, well, I have arrived. You know, I I surpass all of the, all of my Christian friends. I'm above and I'm beyond them, which may or may not be true. But the fact of the matter is, regardless of where you are, you're not you're not where you could be and should be, because none of us has attained the perfect likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our example in in everything. In fact, none of us have the ability to do that. And that's why this message tonight is so very important because it, it makes it very clear that we don't have the ability to live the Christian life as it ought to be lived. And the quicker we learn that, the better off that we are. Sometimes a young Christian, you know, will get it in their mind that just because they've been saved, they're going to heaven, all of their sins are forgiven, and now they're a Christian. And that means that they're going to be able to just automatically conquer everything that comes along and all of a sudden there you know there is some uh, temptation that overpowers them there's some trial that discourages them there's something that drags them down when we think about the christian life and that's what we're talking about tonight abounding in our christian life the christian life is the life of christ reproduced in the child of god by the spirit of god 
So it's more than being a matter of what we do for God. It's a matter of what God does with us because as I said in an earlier message, never forget, He is the change agent. He's the one that makes us different than what we are. That doesn't mean that there's no requirements on our part. We're going to see in just a little bit that there are certain requirements, but it means that regardless of how much we try, it's never going to be enough. And uh, so there has to be an effort made on our part. A.W. Tozer said many years ago, the church is called to live above her own ability. She's called to live on a plane so high that no human being can live like that of his own ability and power. The humblest Christian is called to live a miracle, a life that is a moral and spiritual life with such intensity and such purity that no human being can do it. Well, let me tell you, that's right on target. That is exactly correct. Because it takes a miracle, as the songwriter said some years ago. Now, I want to begin tonight in verse number 8 rather than verse number 1. Because it speaks about the purpose that God desires. And we need to start here because this is the the first thing that needs to be established. Verse number 8. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. Notice, herein is my Father glorified. And so he's talking about God's purpose for his people, and that is that God be glorified. The Bible tells us very clearly that the purpose of all creation is for the glory of God. It tells us that the establishment of Israel was for the glory of God. The Bible tells us by way of a command unto Him be glory in the church. So that's the purpose of this church. The main purpose is to glorify God. The Bible tells us as individuals, whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. So that must be the top priority in everything we do because if it's not, then we miss the mark regardless of what we do. Regardless of how well we preach or how well we sing or how much money we give or how good our attendance in church is, none of that matters if we do not do it for the glory of God. You see, motive matters with God. Other people might applaud us because we did a good job. And they see the excellence of whatever it is that we do. And consequently, they applaud us. But if we don't do it for the glory of God, then it's not acceptable to the will of God. So it's for His glory, never for our gratification. That doesn't mean that we don't receive some gratification from it. That doesn't mean that there's not joy in the service of the Lord. But it means that's not our primary goal. And that's one of the problems we've got in churches today. Rather than seeking to be edified and seeking to exalt Christ, too many people are concerned only about having a good time. It's all fun and games and, you know, just uh, everybody get together and be happy. And God intends for something more than that. So that 
is the purpose. So when we talk about abounding in faith, abounding in love, abounding in joy, or abounding in works, whatever it is, we seek that for the glory of God. Now, let's go back to verse number 1, and I want you to notice the parable that he describes. And we're going to read the first seven verses. He said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me." I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Verse 6, If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. So, We've seen what God desires, and that's glory. But here we see what God demands. Notice there in verse number 2, God is demanding fruit. Now notice the progression here. Fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. And so that implies that He is demanding maximum production in our lives. That tells me that God wants me to reach my full potential. Whether it, you know, whether it measures up to what you do or not, that doesn't matter. The important thing is that I reach my full potential in the Lord Jesus Christ. So He says, the Father is the husbandman. He says, And I'm the vine, you're the branches. Now this concept of the vine isn't anything new. Because when you go back to the Old Testament, you find that Israel was likened unto a vine and was to bring forth fruit for the purpose of glorifying God. That's all spelled out very clearly in several different places. So when Jesus comes along, and notice He says, I am the true vine... This is in contrast to Israel who failed. Israel was a type, if you please, of the Lord Jesus Christ, the true vine. And so where they failed, Jesus succeeded. And He wants us to realize that being the vine, He provides nourishment, He provides support, He supplies the strength that we need as His people. And if we succeed in our lives in serving Him, we have to understand the nature of this union that we have with Him. He is the vine that we are the branches. Because He's the vine, we are totally dependent upon Him, you see. And so if we ever do anything of eternal value, it'll be because of what we draw from Him. Now, that's the parable, and we see the purpose. Now, notice the plan, verse number 4, three simple words here that are so very serious, and this gets right down to the nitty-gritty, right down to how we are able to abound. Notice he says, abide in me. So the key to bearing fruit, the means by which we are enabled, is to abide in me. In Him. 
That word abide means to dwell or to remain. It's a word that we get the word abode from. That is a dwelling place. And it speaks here about a place where someone would stay, somewhere they would live. So he's saying here, abide in me. And he's speaking about our fellowship with him. That's what it takes for us to abound, is to live in constant communion in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's our responsibility to abide in Him. It's His job to make us fruitful. You see, whenever our focus is where it ought to be, which is on Christ, the matter of fruitfulness will take care of itself. We don't have to make ourselves produce fruit. You know, we can have Sunday school campaigns and do things that will increase the size of the crowd, but that doesn't necessarily promote growth. And if we're going to grow, whether as in a corporate sense as a church, or whether we're going to grow as individuals, that is, that we're going to abound in faith and hope and love and those things, it'll be always because of the fact that we are abiding in Christ. Now, you know, that sounds rather mystical to a lot of people. And there are a lot of people that take that approach. And a lot of people, you know, even get somewhat near into this Eastern meditation and what have you in trying to get closer to the Lord. And it's all a mystical thing with them. But whenever we think about this, I want you to notice that it involves obedience to the Lord. If I'm going to live in fellowship with the Lord, I've got to obey the Lord. Look at verse number 10. He says, if you keep my commandments, notice, If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. And these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And greater man hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. So it's one thing to talk about being in fellowship with the Lord. It's another thing to actually be living a life of obedience to the Lord. Now, here's something we've got to realize, and that is that this doesn't come automatic. If we abide in Him, and notice he says, if we keep His commandments. Well, how are we going to keep His commandments if we don't know His commandments? How are we going to do His will if we don't know His Word? And this is, this is where the Word of God comes into play because God has ordained certain means whereby that we're able to grow spiritually. These are sometimes referred to as the Christian disciplines. And there are those that are personal, uh, things that we would do in isolation, such as enter into our closet and shut the door and pray and you know, that, that's one of the Christian disciplines. And then there are corporate disciplines, the things that are practiced in community one with another. But, but there are many different things that, that, that constitute the Christian disciplines. It might be Bible reading, Bible study, it might be prayer, it might be fasting, it might be giving. All of these things that sometimes we label, you know, as our responsibilities and our duties 
These are things that we must do in order to grow. You know, it's kind of like somebody being a weightlifter and going to the gym every day and watching everybody else lift weights. You know, uh, you might boast about the fact that you go to the gym every single day, but it doesn't put any muscle on your body unless you get out there and exercise those muscles. And the Bible tells us that we're to exercise ourselves unto godliness. We do that, we do that by being familiar with His Word, being obedient to His Word. I don't know whether anybody noticed, but the morning manna for the last two days had to do with the importance of the Word of God. And uh, both of them were written by the the same fellow, J.R. Miller, many years ago, and they were so good. I published part one yesterday, part two today, and it talks about the importance of prayer. That's us talking to God. That's so very important. But whenever we go into the Word, that's God speaking to us. And I want to tell you, it doesn't get any more important than that. You know, nearly nearly everybody, when I say everybody, I'm talking about Christians now, Nearly all of us uh, tend to pray at least a little bit every day, don't we? I mean, that's sort of a give me. Everybody prays, and the more problems we got, the more we pray. But I want to tell you, I'm firmly convinced that we neglect the Word of God far more than we do prayer. We fail to spend time in the Word of God, and then we wonder why we don't abound in these graces. Job said, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning, I feel a necessity to get something to eat. Sometime during the day, I feel that necessity again. And, you know, it's just a part of who I am. And the same thing's true of you. You need that nourishment. And the same thing is true in regards to our relationship with the Lord. So notice now, with all of this in view, we've talked about the purpose. We've talked about the parable that he uses to describe what his plan is. Now notice the promises that he declares. Look at verse number 7. Let's start there again. Verse 7, And if ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Well, that's quite a promise. Amen? Ask whatever you will. Well, somebody comes along and says, all right, see, you know, the preacher so-and-so had it right. You know, these prosperity preachers, and so I've been wanting a new Cadillac. I'm just going to ask God for a Cadillac, and he said that he would give it to me because right here it says, you know, ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Well, the thing about that is if we're in the will of God, we'll never ask anything that's not in God's will. And, you, you know, it's one thing to ask whatever you want. Just say, you know, I want this and I want that. It's another thing to pray according to the will of God in obedience to His Word and for His glory. That's another thing. When we pray that way, there's no doubt about it. He is assuring us here that when our primary concern is for His glory and we're following His plan in the Christian disciplines, we're spending time in Bible study, we're spending time in prayer and so forth, whenever we do that, then growth becomes possible. 
I love the way Peter put it. If you'll turn over to Second Peter chapter 1 for just a moment. Second Peter chapter number 1, beginning in verse number 3. According as His divine power hath given to us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Now, I don't know about you, but that tells me that if that's true, and it is, then, then I have everything I need in Him. That, that He is sufficient. He says, notice here, He's given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. How did He do that? Through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, that spiritual growth becoming more and more and more and more like Him all of the time. And how does that happen? It happens, notice it goes back to where He says here, according to the knowledge of Him. And naturally we gain our knowledge of Him through the Word of God. I'm so glad that when I hold this blessed old book in my hand, I know that it is sufficient for every need, that I have everything I need. Now, over the years, I've read a lot of books. I noticed this week a preacher friend of mine had two or three references to E.M. Bounds' book on prayer. It's a great, big, thick book. And I commented that I read that the time in 1966 when I read that. Uh, the first copies were just little, each paperback books, one chapter at a time. And I can remember reading that. I can remember reading uh, the biography of D.L. Moody and C.H. Uh, Spurgeon and David Livingston. And I, I just started reading everything I could and, and, and benefited in some way from all of those things that I've read over the years. But I want you to know that if this is all I had, I'd get along just fine. And so will you. Because He's given us, notice, everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. That means that if I fail... I have nobody to blame but myself because God is always faithful to keep His promises. And He said, in the knowledge of Him. Now see how that ties together with Hebrews chapter number 12 and verse number, verse number 2 where it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. In other words, if we're always looking at Him, our focus is on Him. Verse 3 of that same chapter says, Consider Him. And as we live in the light of His glory and our focus is upon Him, all of a sudden the Spirit of God begins to change us. Second Corinthians 3.18 He changes us from glory unto glory. So it's never, it's never a matter of what I become through self-effort. It's a matter of me living in obedience to the Word of God. And as I do that, then He does everything else that's, that's needed to what? Make me bear fruit. Make me bear more fruit. Make me bear much fruit. Why? Because we are abounding. We are ascending. We are growing. And that's God's plan for every one of us. Let me sum this up tonight by 
just saying that this parable here that the Lord gives is a lesson, number one, about a relationship, that we are in God's family. The father's the husbandman, Jesus is the vine, we're the branches. So this is, this is a lesson about a relationship and our union with him. It's also a lesson about reproduction because notice he says, verse number 2, that we are to bear fruit. We're to be fruitful. It's not enough just to have a relationship with the Lord. We need to bear fruit for the Lord. So it's about reproduction. But that tells us it's also a lesson in regards to reliance because verse number 4 and 5, he says, you can't do anything without me. And so we're going to strike out every time. We're going to fail every single time if we try to do it in our own power. We have to depend upon Him. But even depending upon Him, we learn here another lesson, and it's a lesson about responsibility. That responsibility has to do with us keeping His commandments. He says, you keep my commandments, He says, and you will abide in me. You see, whenever we think about abiding in Christ and we think about serving Him and becoming fruitful in our Christian life, it all boils down to us doing the will of God and that is responsibility, that we do His will, that we fulfill His commandment. That, that's our responsibility. That's the end of our responsibility. There have been preachers that have thrown in the town, given up and resigned, just quit the ministry, all because, you know, uh, they were not seeing productivity where they were. The church wasn't growing, everything was stagnant, and they just got discouraged and quit. Look, it's not my business to make anything happen. That's not my business. That's God's business. And it's my job, my responsibility to know the Word, obey the Word, and to preach the Word. But there's something else here, and that is that there is also in this parable a lesson about ruin, and that is that disobedience leads to failure. Now, don't misunderstand this. This is a parable. And keep in mind, he's not saying here that we can lose our salvation. Thank God for that. We have a relationship with him that's not dependent upon what we do, but depends on what he did when he died on the cross and paid our sin debt. But look at verse number 6. Keeping in mind, this is a parable. He says, If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Now, he's not saying that Christians are cast into the fire and burned. He's talking about the branches, that they are destroyed. You remember the Apostle Paul and his great concern was that he might become a castaway. He wasn't thinking anything at all about his relationship with God. He was thinking about his fellowship with God. Your relationship with God will never change but your fellowship with God can be broken. That's why I've said so many times, the most miserable people on the face of the earth are not the unsaved people. Now, they might be miserable. I think back to, you know, my life before I was saved, and, uh, you know, at some point in time, you don't have enough sense to be miserable. 
You know, you don't have enough sense to be afraid, you know. And uh, that, that's, that's why unsaved people can do some of the craziest things you ever imagine, things that are totally unreasonable because they don't have enough sense to, to be afraid or they don't have enough sense to realize that things are not as they ought to be. They're happy as long. Just give them another drink. Give them another, uh, another hit, hit on the, their marijuana or whatever it is, whatever makes them happy. That's all, all they need. They're not the most miserable people. The most miserable people are those Christians, those people that have been saved that are living outside the will of God, and they know it. They know. You see, the Spirit of God is not going to allow a Christian to sin successfully and to enjoy it. You might think you will, but that's a lie of the devil. If you're a child of God, you're not going to enjoy your sin. The flesh might be pleased for a moment, but the Spirit is going to be grieved until you make that right. So Paul said, my fear is to become a castaway. That is that I'll be put on the shelf, that I'll become worthless so far as Christian ministry is concerned. His great desire was to be useful in the work of the Lord. That ought to be the desire of our heart. But I'm telling you, if we're not careful, we'll let ourselves get out of fellowship with God. Our growth will stop. We'll, we'll, we'll stop abounding in the things of the Lord. And the next thing you know, we're on a shelf somewhere and in a condition to where God can no longer use us. Now listen to this, and I'm through. And there is a sin unto death. There is a sin unto death. As a child of God, I cannot lose my salvation, but I can lose my life. I can lose my life because if I'm not going to use my life to glorify God, there's absolutely no reason for me being here on the planet. I might as well be dead and gone as to be here and not use my life to bring honor and glory to my dear Savior. As Brother Kenneth prayed this morning, Lord, help us to abound. May we not be satisfied with what we are when we're not all that we can be. That's why Paul said, covet earnestly the best gifts. You see, most of the time we use that word covet in a bad way, don't we? but it can be used in a good way. Covet earnestly those best gifts. And I'm telling you, every one of us ought to have a desire to have everything God wants to give us and to be all that we can for His glory. And if there's something that's stopping that, something hindering you and keeping you from abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to fix it in a hurry, as we said this morning. That's rubbish that needs to be removed out of your life to where you can live your life in fellowship with the Lord. And when you do, when you do that, there will be joy unspeakable and full of glory and peace that passeth all understanding and love that passes knowledge. All of those benefits of abounding in the things of the Lord. Do what's best for you. And what's best for you is for the will of God to happen in your life. Spend time with Him every day in His Word. 
and let him speak to you and then you speak to him and obey him and follow his plan for your life and you'll never regret it. And you'll become a Christian that is growing and abounding in the things of the Lord. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you tonight for the potential that the Lord Jesus Christ gives to each and every one of us. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that not only do we have a relationship with you, but we have the wonderful privilege of being able to live our lives in constant communion with you. And I pray tonight that the Holy Spirit will just speak to our hearts about anything that's displeasing in your sight. May we purge ourselves of all of those things that prove to be a hindrance to our prayers being answered. Dear Lord, we think about so many things tonight, so many people that are in need of answered prayer. We think about Brother Ron and John's test and Sue and all of these others that that we've mentioned from time to time and their needs. And, And Lord, we need you. And we don't need anything that's going to hinder our prayers. So may we confess every sin. May we do whatever needs to be done in order to be effective in our prayer life, in order to be effective in our service for you. Help us tonight, not only to get rid of those things that are a hindrance, but help us, Heavenly Father, to commit ourselves to the things that are a necessity, those disciplines in our life that will help us to become everything you want us to be. For we ask it in Jesus' name.